The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Yesterday, we began a message entitled, Guard Your Heart. Today, we bring the conclusion of this message. As we began to see yesterday, our hearts will deceive us, and so we must guard them diligently. But King David, unfortunately, didn't do that. He fell into a grievous sin with Bathsheba. As we conclude the sermon today, we find that there were ways David could have insulated himself from committing this terrible act, and ultimately we're going to see the lifelong consequences of what he no doubt thought would be just a one-night stand. Join us today for the conclusion of this message entitled, Guard Your Heart. First, we have a song selection that we hope you enjoy.
what's happened here the servant has told David that she's a married woman the servant didn't you know David can't claim ignorance here he said he goes to his servant or to whoever's there and he says now I want to find out who that woman is he said you know it really I believe there's evidence David knew who she was I mean Eliam was uh, uh, most likely one of his uh, war companions somebody that he fought with and Uriah the Hittite we'll see was indeed one so he probably already knew, but in any event, the servant said, don't you know, that's, that's a married woman there. That's Bathsheba who's married to Uriah. And, and, and notice what happens in verse 4. David doesn't even answer his servant. He says, David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. You see, David just said, go get her. His temptation was too great. In his mind, he decided, I'm going to ignore the way out. Even my servant, you know, that's, the Lord is so good to us. He'll remind us of what we ought to be really thinking about in the first place, you know. He, he, the servant says, she's married. David says, I don't care. Go get her. Go get her. And I'll say this too. This is somewhat reading between the lines. But I think we're safe. We're in safe territory here. David didn't expect any consequences from this. He clearly just saw this as one moment of pleasure, a one-night stand. If you asked him, David, where do you see this relationship going? He said, oh, it's just a one-night stand. I'm sure that's where David's mind was. He never dreamed that he would experience a lifetime of consequences. And isn't that the way the world works? The world never shows you the end of a thing, only the beginning of it. And the beginning's always attractive. It's always enticing. You've probably never heard the name of the actor Eric Lawson. Eric Lawson was the face of Marlboro cigarettes from about 1978 to 1981 when I was a kid. He was the Marlboro man. Some of y'all remember that, right? Man, he was a rugged cowboy figure. He was the symbol of everything a boy like me wanted to grow up to be. It was so much so, y'all laugh at this. I've told you before, so i just give you another laugh. I got a coat that looked like that, and I used to wear it on the campus of the University of Alabama. And people would point and laugh. I thought they were admiring. They might not have been admiring. I don't know. They might have been making fun. But anyway. But I, I, the Marlboro man, you had to, you wanted to grow up to be like him. And of course... You had to smoke Marlboro cigarettes to do that, you know. Eric Lawson died in 2014 from respiratory failure due to chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, at the age of 72. In fact, if, if my research is correct, up to five men who played the Marlboro man on those advertisements died of either lung cancer or COPD. You didn't see that in an ad, did you? 
You saw the beginning, it looked good. You know, there's other examples. I just use that as one that we all know. But there's many examples. The world shows you the beginning. They don't show you the ending, you see. One moment of pleasure for David and his life would never be the same. So let's talk about the consequences as we try to bring this down to, to a close and wrap up. But first of all, let me just say to you young folks and older folks, you know, sometimes we think you young folks are not as smart as we older folks, but as I'm about to say here in a minute, you're going to find David wasn't a young guy. He was an older guy that should have known better. We ought to know better, so all of us listen up. Everybody who does something like this thinks they can get away with it. Every, nobody ever thinks, everybody thinks, well, I know nobody else has, but I'm going to be the first one, right? <laughs> yeah. History of the world, nobody's really ever gotten away with it, but I'm going to be the first one. <laughs> but look at verse 5. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now, first of all, this put David in a bad spot. Now, David put himself there, but here he is at a crossroads, okay? Under the law, he was required to be stoned. He was required to be stoned under the law. That was the, that was the law solution to adultery. Well, that probably wasn't going to happen to the king of Israel, and he knew it, I'm sure. But think about where David was. Think about who David was. David was the, David was the kid who slew Goliath. He was the one who had the hit parade, uh, number one hit, of Saul hath slain thousands, but David his ten thousands. They were singing his praises. And he was the great deliverer of Israel. He was a well-respected king. He was, a, he was a representative of God in many ways. And now he's got the option of confession or covering up. And let me just always say, let me just say to you this. Confession is always the right way to go. When confronted with this circumstance, repentance and confession is the only way. Ultimately, that's what he will do, but not before he tries to cover up. He took the wrong fork in this road, and he begins to try to cover up, and man, it gets worse. It's bad now, but as you probably already know, it gets much worse. See, first of all, he tried to cover his sin by deception. Look at verse 7. He says, when Uriah was come at David, or verse 6, David sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. I can't, now, now look, Uriah was not a stranger to David. If you go back over to the 23rd chapter, we'll, you'll see, we'll see that in a moment. But he was one of the great warriors of David's army. So I'm sure David already knew him. David had probably interacted with him. But I'm sure he's still thinking, this is weird. <laughs> this is weird. I'm up here fighting, and, and the king himself has sent for me to come back to uh, the palace. That'd be like the president sending for a private on the front lines to come see him in the White House. That'd be just a weird something's up kind of thinking, I'm sure. But David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. So here's what he's doing. For, he's trying to cover up by getting Uriah to go home and spend the night with his wife so that when it becomes public that she's expecting a child, everyone will assume, including Uriah, will assume that it's his child. And he even sent a meal from the palace up there. 
And then skipping down to verse 12, uh, he, he, he says, or verse, uh, yeah, verse 12, he says, David said, Uriah, tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day, and he called him back. David he called him. He did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. David made Uriah drunk. He tried, to, he tried to cover up by getting him to go spend the night with his wife. Then he tried to cover up by, by getting him so drunk that he would either stumble his way home in his stupor or he just wouldn't remember what was going on. But I want you to see that Uriah the Hittite, who was a foreigner, he was a foreigner. He didn't grow up in the Jewish nation. He was a, he was a foreign convert. Uriah the Hittite is more noble than David in just about every way. Verse 9, he tried to get him to go home, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. And why? He says, Uriah went down and uh, David called him and said, why didn't you go? Verse 11, Uriah said unto David, the ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and to, to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. How embarrassed do you think David was when confronted with this foreign convert who did not grow up Jewish who was being more righteous than him? David, you know, I, I don't know if Uriah meant it this way, but it, what an accusation. Hey, I need to be out there. And by the way, David, you need to be out there too. How can I live here in ease while everybody else is out there on the battlefield? David, <laughs> see, I'm sure he was convicted in his heart. And then we see that uh, in, in verse 13, it says that he made him drunk and at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he went not down to his house. I heard one preacher say that Uriah had more character drunk than David had sober. <laughs> he, he was going to do the right thing. And as I've said already, this is, this is sad, y'all. This, this almost brings me to tears every time I think about it. If you look over, you don't have to turn there, but if you look over there in 2 Samuel chapter 23, down in that chapter it begins to list the mighty men of David's army, those great warriors that were heroes of the Israelites. You get in all the way to the end, and guess who's listed? Uriah the Hittite. This wasn't some second-class soldier who wouldn't be missed. This was, this was a great man. This was a courageous man. This was a man who supported his king, who did everything he could to do it in the right way. He even converted to the, to the kingdom of God, and now... Look what David is about to do. He tried to cover his sin by deception, and now he's going to try to cover his sin by destruction, by destroying Uriah. Verse 14, it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. You know, a lot of times when we see somebody fall into sexual sin like David did, especially an older man with a younger woman, we'll say things like, boy, he's lost his mind. Well, David has lost his mind. He is, I don't mean crazy in the sense of excusing him. I mean, he is totally away from the will of God. He has lost any sense of his spiritual mind. Now, he not only wrote a letter, he sent that letter by the hand of Uriah himself, and the letter carried Uriah's destruction in it. 
How seared must David's conscience be at this time? And, and later on, you know what happens? Joab, being the loyal lieutenant, he sends him up there to the front of the battle. They all pull back, and, the, and, and Uriah is slain. And, of course, Joab's a little concerned about it. He's a little nervous, so he sends you know, a letter by a messenger saying, look, we didn't win this battle. And he knew that David the king would be mad. And then he said, and by the way, Uriah died in this battle. So King, you know, King David, I'm sure he's getting angry, but then he said, oh, okay, I get it. That's what, and, and look at his response in verse 25. David said unto the messenger, thus shalt thou say unto Joab, let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, okay, well, you know, and more, it just happens that way. One gets killed here and another gets killed there. So don't feel too bad about the death of Uriah the Hittite. So David's plan, David's diabolical plan worked, right? It worked. He's, he's got it covered up. Uriah's dead. He takes Bathsheba after she mourns for 30 whole days. <laughs> I hope Sherry mourns more than 30 days before she gets remarried. But that's, that's <laughs> you know, I'll be gone, so whatever. <laughs> but... Uh, for 30 days, she mourns, and then he takes her to be wife, right? So he got away with it because he's the king. Well, there's a very um, heavy verse of Scripture here in chapter 11. It's verse 27. It's just a few words, but they give me chills every time I read it. Listen to this. He's, you know, verse 27, when the morning was passed... David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son, okay? But I want to say to you, child of God, and, and I'm thankful for this. Let me just say, I'm thankful for the chastening of God. If you're a child of God, the story never ends there. Listen to this. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. There's some buts in the scripture. You go over to Ephesians chapter 2 and you read about but God and it talks about his mercy. And there's some good buts in the scripture. But this is a but that bodes very badly for David and for us. Over in Numbers chapter 32, as he's given the law over there in verse 23, he says, be sure your sin will find you out. There have been people in the world who have gotten away with murder. I know of a couple in my time as a prosecutor that I'm certain committed a murder, but we never could prove it, and they've gotten away with it as we look at it from human justice. You know, I have never contemplated murder, but I've thought about the fact that even if I committed a murder and could get away with it, under the laws of men, if I'm a child of God, I will not get away with it. You cannot get away and hide things. You can't get away with and hide things from God. You see, God knows this. Notice it said, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I, I love the fact, you know, that capitalized L-O-R-D. When you see that in the King James Bible, that, is, that means that it's been translated from the word Jehovah. Jehovah God, you see, Yahweh, the, the great 
uh, self-existent God. I notice, you know, he could have said Elohim or Adonai, one of the other Hebrew names for God, but he didn't, he didn't go there. The writer went there and said, this displeased the self-existent great I am. You do not get away <laughs> with things under the vision of the great I am. The great Jehovah God, see, you don't get away with that. Now, 2 Samuel chapter 12, as we kind of wrap this up. He tried to cover up his sin by deception. He tried to cover it up by destruction. But God discovered his sin. He knew about his sin and chastened him. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 12, The Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him, and with his children it did eat of his meat. He drank of his own cup, lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now remember that uh, Nathan has compared the temptation to a traveler. And here we see he's comparing David to a rich man who stole from another man's flock rather than take from his own vast herds. And look at what David says. David is mad about it. You know, isn't it true that oftentimes the things we get the most angry with other people about are the things we have the most trouble with? The things in our own lives, sometimes we, I mean, what, how hypocritical it is, but that's the way it is of human nature. He said, this man is going to die, and he's got to restore him fourfold. And here in verse 7 is a verse that I think is one of the greatest verses in the Scripture. This is a man named Nathan who stands before the most powerful man. He's a prophet. He's standing before the most powerful man in the kingdom of Israel, speaking truth to power. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. I can just see that old prophet. I'm sure he wasn't exactly excited about this. I'm sure he was a little afraid. But he came down and he marched up to David. You know, David would have court there in the palace. And I, I don't know if he did this because we're not told, but I bet you <laughs> if I were a betting man, I'd say he pointed that finger and said, Thou art the man. Now, this could go two ways after this. You know, one of the occupational hazards of being a prophet was, it, was dying, being killed because of what they said. We know that David finally hits his knees and takes the right approach. Ultimately, Nathan pronounces sentence on David, and, and really David pronounced his own sentence. Notice what he said. He said, he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Do you know how many sons David lost? David lost four sons. David lost the little baby. He lost Amnon. He lost Absalom and one more that I, whose name escapes me. And the sword 
will never leave his house. Lifelong consequences for one night of fleeting pleasure. So let's, let's wrap this up. And I know this has not been a comfortable sermon, but I appreciate your kind attention here. What are the lessons here that we have? First of all, one major lesson that we all need to take heed to is that you don't grow out of depravity. You don't grow out of depravity. We've already said David was at least 50 years old. It may have been as old as 60 when this happened. When he ought to know better, and you would think that the passions of life would have diminished enough that he could control them better, but instead he goes and does this crazy thing. You know, my grandmother used to say, there's no fool like an old fool. And I like that saying because we've seen that happen many times. We've seen it happen in politics. We've seen it happen even in our churches and you don't grow out of depravity. And, and also, let me say this, there is no good in the sin that we do. This is not something, you know, oftentimes people would say, well, the Lord led me to this. The Lord put me in this position. No, Romans 8, 28 applies to eternal salvation. It doesn't apply to the things that are happening here. We're not absoluters, okay? What David did here did not work for his good. It did not work for the good of his family. In fact, the sword never left his house. I told you already, he pronounced his own sentence. He lost four sons. You know that saying that sin will take you farther than you wanted to go? It will keep you longer than you intended to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever meant to pay. Beloved, that's the case with David. Now, God can overrule it, and he can restore, and he does do that with David, but let's don't make that necessary in our lives. Because with David, all the great things that he does, the things, we, the things that he did with uh, Goliath and, and with the nation of Israel and all the good things he does is always overshadowed by his sin with Bathsheba. When you think of David, what do you think of? You think of Goliath and Bathsheba. I do. Let's don't put God in the position of having to, don't tempt God having to overrule this and restore us. Thirdly, there is no depth, no limit to the depths to which your depraved heart will go. And that's why you need to guard it or keep it, as the Bible says. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Our feelings will betray us. Our hearts will mislead us. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of difficulty and discomfort. No, the ways of death. The ways of death. So, now, there are some things that we can do to avoid what David did. First of all, we can guard our hearts. Don't follow your heart, as we said. Take charge of your heart. Lead your heart with the Word of God. And you have to prepare for the moment of temptation. The time to be praying and preparing is not when the temptation comes. You know, it's too late at that point. At that point, it's a quick decision you have to make. The time to prepare is not in the throes of temptation. Joseph prepared his heart ahead of time for the moment of temptation. He set himself up for success, whereas David set himself up for failure. Secondly, remember your enemy. Please, please, if, I, if you don't take anything else from this sermon today, Remember, we have an enemy, and our enemy is a roaring lion. He's not a mewing little kitty cat. He's a roaring lion. He is out to destroy you, child of God, and he will do it if you let him. If you give him a foothold, he will take it and will tear down your house. He is out to destroy us, not to annoy us. Thirdly, blockade your home. 
blockade your heart and your home. You know, if you're married, especially you men, be devoted to your spouse. Love your wives is a commandment. And it requires an act of the will. It's not just something we fall into. Oh, I fell in love. Well, maybe you kind of did, uh, you know, find yourself having these feelings toward your wife. But, you know, those feelings, they're great. <laughs> it's wonderful on the wedding day. But, uh, you know, fast forward 10 or 15 years when you've got three or four kids and, and she's busy and you're busy. You've got to make it an act of your will to love your spouse, you see. And let me just say this to you. You, you can turn and read it sometime in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. That seventh commandment, God did not stutter. He did not stammer. He did not equivocate when he said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's about as, I can't really expound on that. That's about as simple as it gets. God didn't stutter. I'm not going to stutter. We shouldn't stagger at the commandment of God. And, you know, people talk about innocent flirting. <laughs> no, there's no such thing. Let me tell you, there's no such thing. Listen, don't ever flirt with someone who's not your spouse. And don't ever stop flirting with your spouse. Another thing we should do is protect our vision. We should, you know, your rose-colored glasses. We should be wearing Bible-tinted glasses at all times. Watch what we set before our eyes. Abraham was the friend of God because he walked by faith and looked for a city whose, that hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Lot became a friend of the world because he looked and saw the plain of Sodom. He walked by sight and he moved down towards that wicked city. The psalmist David at later in life said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Oh, that he had remembered that in this day. Ponder your path. Over in Proverbs chapter 4, you can read it there sometime. He talks about pondering the path of thy feet and letting your ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left and remove your foot from evil. That Hebrew word translated ponder means to weigh or to make level. And it's related to the word that you use for scales. So weigh out your daily walk. Consider it. Make it level. Haggai says consider your ways. That means set your heart on your ways. And be prepared for moments like this that David faced. And ultimately seek God's help. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, according to Paul in his writing to the Philippians. Seek God's help. God, the, the psalmist David later in Psalm 139 and 23 he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. This should be our prayer every day. David's decisions leading up to that night set him up for failure. His cover-up instead of confession led to even further disastrous consequences. But, but thankfully, as we know, God forgave him. And later, through repentance, he would be restored. Let's don't go there, though, child of God. Guard your heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Erect a wall of virtue and scripture around it and protect yourself from the kind of consequences that David experienced. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace.
If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.